Hi. Hi. Welcome back. How to practice. Episode 10. Luck. 10. 10. This is crazy. I, I know, I'm going to say this every time. It's like, what's time? Things are happening. We continue to do this. We continue to make output. But isn't that life? Isn't that art practicing? You just keep going. Well, I think it's interesting to go and see, you know, like I, I know what's happening here. But for me to go and read what's happening in LA and how there are so many more drive-by shows now, that's becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. And um, and then in London, sort of everybody now are doing these appointments, which I actually, I find it to be a bit abstract. I'm like, if it was so intimidating to begin with, mm-hmm. with people going in, now you have to schedule it. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if... I would feel comfortable. Like, it's just, it's such a, for, I, get, I understand why it's yes. in place, but it's such a foreign concept for me. Like, do I go online? So Pace has the Terrell show on still. And like, am I supposed to go and write to Pace and be like, hi, I would like to come in on, I don't know, like July... 20th at like 10 a.m. for 50. Do you know what I mean? And it's just mm-hmm. like, I don't. And then, like, do I have this like email? And I go, like, I'm sure, like, if I went and tried this out, I would know by now, but I haven't because in my head, I'm just like, oh, I don't know how this makes me feel. Well, it's kind of crazy to go from like this like pendulum swing of like, we're everything's democratic, everything's online, this is access for everyone to being like, hard stop, you need an appointment. And even it is hard because it's like also, you know, seeing art was, was, you know, kind of like an easier thing to do. You can kind of pop in, you don't, I mean, who's to say how long you want to spend in that Terrell mm. show? Or like, do you say I'm reserving 30 minutes and then you want to leave after five? Is that tacky? Like, again, back to this whole like new social interactions, like how are you supposed to engage if you know, are there going to be other people there? Do you have the gallery to yourself? Can you bring a guest? How many guests? I don't know. Physically, I I don't know. I know. I don't either. There's so many questions. Because that's the other thing is I've been, there's like a couple shows in LA that are doing appointment only and I would love to go see them. But my schedule is such that I, it's hard for me to say with any guarantee that I will be able to confirm that I will be there at 11 a.m. on Wednesday. So I haven't made an appointment to see it at 11 a.m. on Wednesday, but I would like to see it at 11 a.m. on Wednesday. But then if I can't make it at the last minute because something comes up. You're just, that's it. You're blacklisted. That's over. Exactly. No like, more it's like, Alexis nope. Hyde. Sorry. Basic. Well, cause I mean, it's like, you know, some did someone have to go into the gallery to like open it up for me and then I come and then like also like as a as a dealer like if I don't buy like that feels extra shitty um, I don't know I think it's such a social uh, and okay I'm gonna tie luck into this it's such a social experience and not the hat of a dealer or a curator but as somebody who I want to go and people watch because I find that experience mm-hmm. very interesting you never know 
and this is why I have these like very odd practices. I, if they are mega shows, so if I'm going to go and see a blockbuster show, I have a tendency to go on Monday morning at 10 a.m. when the museum or the gallery opens because I find that sometimes the people who go, they, they don't go alone. And also this is the thing, I, go, I always go alone. And then I always listen to Vivaldi Four Seasons. Always. It's like a thing. Preferably spring and summer. But that's what I do. And I, I find that even if I can't hear what other people are saying, that experience of having other people, you don't know who's going to be next to you. I don't, you don't know if there's going to be a tour. You don't know. any. And I find that sometimes it's really engaging when... I think because I go on a weekday and you see children interacting with the art and it's, it's different. And then you can, if I don't listen to Vivaldi or like to get out of my ears and you hear how things are being explained and how that's being explained to the next generation. And I find that like, it's a luck thing because sometimes it could be really enjoyable because of was there and then sometimes you're just like and this really changed because there was a huge Rothko show I think at the Tate Modern like years ago and I made the mistake of going at like 2 p.m and it was so rammed I remember it was literally you were like in a tin of sardines there were so many people and the problem with or not the problem but like the thing with Rothko is it's an experience that requires almost like silence mm-hmm. No, it's like when, you really yeah. need like mental space and that can get achieved quicker with physical space. Correct. And I just remember these two ladies just like going off next to me and I was like, oh my God, I have to leave. Like this is, this is not the experience I'm looking for. But that's like such a luck thing to, to be able to go and go to see the show and whoever shows up next to you is whoever shows up next to you. So now I'm, I don't know, like, I, I have zero desire to go and sign up for an appointment. I know. Does that make me a bad art human? No, I think it's the same way that, like, anybody would want to enjoy anything. I mean, it's the same thing, like, people are going to start having, what, they're going to have, like, soccer games and football games with no audiences and no crowds, and then people are, like, are they going to want to watch that? Is it going to be, I mean, the same thing for like the players, like, are you going to want to play basketball with no crowd? You don't have cheers. You don't have that excitement. Like, is it going to be someone can press a button? I know. It's like, yeah, it's like if you're like your laugh tracks, but it's like a cheer track. Um, I think that this is, you know, like we have like all of these like new social muscles that we're trying to exercise and trying to adapt to. And I don't think that it always has, you don't always have to adapt. You know, I think that if you choose to not want to go at the appointment time, I think that's fine because, or like make the appointment because it is, it's a new thing and it's not, and maybe it is a luck thing. Maybe it is just a whim thing. There's a new pressure, I think, of like, of having to perform a certain way when you make an appointment. Oh, you mean like social decorum to actually show up? Exactly. Like you have to actually show up. You have to actually look at the art. You have to actually have something to say. And if you don't know what you're going to see, like it's easy to go to a Terrell show for sure. And like, you know, 
wax nostalgic about it and like, you know, be moved. But like, you know, if you're going to go to, you know, like you just want to pop in and see like a random painter maybe that you're not familiar with and you don't like it. And then it's like the gallerist going to be there and that's awkward. I don't know. It's, it, it does take a little bit of the magic out of it. Yeah. I don't know. I don't either. Um, but I but hey, I, I suppose at the end of the day, we look at this in a different way. It's that we're very lucky that things exist. Exactly. The market is abundant. There's much selection, mm-hmm. clearly, at this point. And Nat's very lucky that we, we still have access to that. So that's fantastic. I might actually gear, I might change the direction of the conversation in terms of like, having more of like a career trajectory of like the luck of getting into mm-hmm. the, the industry. Um, I was always under the impression that in order to break into the art world, you are required to have a certain level of luck, which requires you to have a certain level of going to the quote, quote unquote right schools. Mm-hmm. It makes it slightly easier because you get the night, the right network and, and therefore you're able to go and hopefully maybe learn a few things about how to exist not not true <laughs> no but yeah. i look no, at this no. now but you know like um but i definitely can say that when i look at myself and where i did my undergrad and where i did my masters in comparison to some of the other tiered schools is very different in terms mm-hmm. of access. Mm-hmm. And would you say that that's a luck thing? I would, especially because I didn't go to a school that had that. Um, but I think this is, this is twofold because I went to Santa Barbara for physics. And then when I changed art history, I mean, the, art, the department's fine, um, but it's not worth writing home about. Um, and I don't think it, it didn't get me anywhere. I, I'm curious if I had, gone to school for art history and like I had been pursuing that actively and the whole four years if things would have been different but um I don't think it would have been very much so because I was in Santa Barbara California which now has a more vibrant contemporary art scene but at the time it did not and but then I also look at that through the lens of I am somebody who works hard so if I had known I was going to be doing art history, I would have looked into gallery internships. I would have looked into, you know, more tangential things um, that would have hopefully helped my career. Um, I mean, at the same time, I still had to just like regularly work just to make money. So that is kind of contradictory. But I do think that while you can get that kind of luck, that kind of step up of access with a school, I'm reminded of something I saw recently, uh, this playwright that I'm obsessed with Jeremy O'Harris. Um, he, I believe he went to Yale. Uh, and he has, is having a tremendous amount of success. And somebody, he posted a letter that his like roommate had posted or sent him that was completely horrendous. Um, basically about like how he's like labeling himself and, you know, be true and whatever, just a bunch of bullshit. But he, the guy who wrote the letter is a pharmaceutical salesman. But presumably, if he was roommates with the playwright, I believe they went to 
they both went to the theater school at Yale, which I know is a very good school, um, incredible access, incredible things. And they both had access to that and they both did that. And now Jeremy O'Harris is on Broadway and this guy was writing him an email from the waiting room of a doctor's office. Uh, and that is, to me, that was really interesting because it was like, you guys both had the same platform and the same access. And I mean, obviously I don't think, again, like I'm obsessed with this guy. I think Jeremy O'Harris is, is a very generational talent. So there's definitely that, but he's also an incredible, like seems like a very good networker and he works very, very hard. And I think that he really took every tool that he was given and every opportunity that he was given and maximized it. Um, on top of incredible talent and top of like a personality and top of a point of view that he already had. Strong so, work ethics. Exactly. And then this other guy who also had access to all of these things. And I don't know, I'm assuming there must be some level of talent that he got into the school, but he obviously went a completely different direction. That, that's been something I've been thinking about a little bit since I, he posted that. Cause it was like, well, I was like, you guys both had, you know, the same access. And, you know, I love to believe that we're in a world where Jeremy O'Harris would have been a Broadway, you know, playwright, no matter what, no matter where he went. But it's, you have the luck, you have the talent, and then you have the work. And if you don't, I think that's the thing is, it's like, we all like to think that luck is just all encompassing. But if you don't have everything behind it, like say you get invited to all the right parties, but if you don't use that for whatever it is that you want to do, if you want to be represented, if you want to get a new client, if you want to show the gallerist your artwork or you want to get your work into the collector's stuff, into their collection, then you, know, you can be there forever at every single party sitting next to that collector. But if you don't have work that resonates with them or you can't communicate to them effectively about your work and why it would fit into their collection, then it'll never happen. But isn't it so funny because on the same, like the other side of the coin is in the same scenario, you're sat next to the collector, the curator, the director, whoever, and maybe you don't have any of the work but people find you to be so charismatic mm -hmm. or interesting and they find a way to document what you do and make it into some sort of work. And then you like somehow skyrocket. Mm -hmm. And isn't it so interesting, you know, like I, I, this becomes quite philosophical, but you have the same access, you're doing the same thing. And why is it some people just sort of get catapulted. Mm -hmm. What makes them so special that, you mm -hmm. know, like even if you're at the same, I guarantee you go, you go to, we go to the same place. Mm -hmm. We're going to have entirely different experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like that's, I don't know, is that luck? Is that serendipity? Is that, right. I like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Right. But it's so interesting because so many of like what you're saying is is true and then like you look at it in a 180 degree and it's like well it could also not have happened or it could have 
catapulted and it's like this unknown you know it's like I've gone to school and most of my friends my good friends they didn't continue to pursue to be artists I know like out of my class I think maybe like two people show both in LA um and I, I'm sure for some people it might be like, oh, but Erica went to grad school in, in London. Um, so that must have been like for something because, you know, she now has access to London. And it's like, mm, you know, but then like not the right time. 2008 to 2010 wasn't, <laughs> wasn't right. a good two years. Um, so it's it's interesting to see how things sort of pan out very differently than what you would think even if everybody had the same access and whether it's luck I don't know sometimes I think it's like it's you're so focused like tunnel vision it's like I have to get there I have to get there I have to get there and like you sort of have to just like let it potentially happen mm-hmm. but then you're like no <laughs> I do think it's interesting though that like because it is, I mean, because it's so, I can look back at the places where I think that I'm like unlucky, um, much better than the places where I was lucky. And like the places where I was unlucky was that I, you know, didn't realize I didn't want to be in STEM long term <laughs> until like late. And then I had to shove an art history major into a year of school. Um, I was unlucky because I started trying to get art gallery jobs in 2008. And that was not a great time for art jobs. Um, I'm unlucky in the fact that I don't have a trust fund, so I couldn't afford to take, you know, menial paying jobs at better galleries because I couldn't afford to. Um, I'm, but then at the same time, it's like, you know, people, I was very lucky to have picked LA as opposed to going to New York or San Francisco or London um, because I felt like this was a, more exciting art place for me and I like to think that kind of panned out well I was you know lucky in that I didn't stop you know I didn't stop trying to do art stuff and I adapted when I you know had to do take a job at an architectural firm for you know keeping my roof over my head I started my blog hide or die and I got shortlisted for a Warhol grant and I got you know presented all of these new opportunities that I never could have ever thought of at the time because I didn't even know because nothing like that existed. And I just kind of kept working and kept pushing and kept being passionate. Whereas I could have easily just stopped and just taken like a comfortable office job for the rest of my life. I'm lucky that I had friends who were also creative who, you know, pursued their things and kept me inspired so uh, timing timing so timing is, too yeah it's a, I think it's that a that's timing like, thing yeah. it's a huge timing thing and I think that timing and luck can be misconstrued and then they can also exactly be hand in hand and then but I always think that like all of the times when I've been the most lucky if I really look back at it I think like this is the product of hard work but, but I think this is like a really good So timing being lucky or unlucky and, you know, like we both touched on this idea of like 2008, 2010, Mm -hmm. 
Um, and like fast forward to now. Yeah. We were just actually, before we started recording, we were having this conversation about our Basel and the fairs and there's just no shortage of online viewing rooms and independent fairs and et cetera. Um, and I think this segues into what we've seen, what we've read, what we've watched this week. Do you think that 2020 is a lucky year for the art market? I think it's interesting. I think that it could be. I think that it will be for some people majorly. And again, like this kind of ties into the luck. It's like a lot of people are given an opportunity to start over to be progressive to push some things you know away to drop some stuff to drop dead weight and go forward you know in an exciting new way and pursue new things and so i think in you know in five years some galleries and institutions will look back and be like covid was really lucky for me black lives matters was really lucky for me because this really gave me the opportunity to get rid of these you know problematic uh, board members. This gave us the opportunity to shake up our roster and go forward in an exciting new way. Um, And I think that the people who take that opportunity in the future will look back and will be like, they were really lucky that they did that, you know, that they had that opportunity. But really it's about, again, it's like that hard work and the timing. Because I think there's a lot of people who are struggling against this so hard because it's not what they're used to and it's they don't know how to adapt and they don't know how to be fluid and it's going to look back and be like oh that was a really unlucky time for them and you know it kind of is because they could have if this hadn't happened they could have just kept swimming along doing you know the bare minimum on so many fronts and nobody would have noticed or they wouldn't have caused a stir well, there was that report that came out this week um, that the cultural sector is going to lose ninety billion pounds this year because of COVID. Very significant number. And then, if, you know, you look at it, and our Mark Bradford was just sold for five million mm-hmm. during Basel. Um, first day, first day of VIP. And I remember when Mark Radford was selected to be the artist for the States for the Biennale, mm-hmm. maybe a couple years ago to the 2017, maybe 2018. I can't remember. I can't remember. But that was like a massive thing when he yeah. was selected. Um, and then I guess nobody would have anticipated that, you know, the first day of reporting for, for what's happening during Corona and no physical fair is he's the top person that was sold first day. And I'm very, I'm very happy for him. Minus the 50%. Right. (laughs) Handling the fees, et cetera. 
Um, sorry, no, I have a link piece is additional. Sorry. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, but it's, it's so interesting to see whether this idea of like lucky, unlucky, creating that opportunity for yourself in a dire time. And that was the end of my thought. <laughs> also, it's interesting because I'm going to piggyback off that is that I did read and I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head um, that in um, Philadelphia, they have taken $33 million off of the their local police departments um, and put it into their museums. So that is an exciting, and they're doing similar thing here in LA, but they're taking like $150 million off of the police budget and putting it into um, communities. And which is just also insane, just like they have this kind of money that they can just cut. Um, and I know that these numbers look really good, but I hope that people realize that if they can just cut these numbers so easily that like, it's not a lot of money for them. Um, no, so it's like really exciting to think about like that kind of like real money getting like reinvested into places and the effects, the positive effects that can have on communities and in the arts. Um, it's also kind of a reminder to me that like the money's there like yes the cultural we're losing so much money but like also like we don't have to be you know the people the money is definitely the there money's still there people are still dropping five million dollars on a mark bradford on day one i mean look at what's going unseen. into the lots for the one auction yeah i mean like crazy things <laughs> it's just like who's been holding on to this right the money's still there and like we see especially like that it's still so exciting to me that people are excited about like local budgets now because you know we keep getting fed especially in the states like we can't afford it that's why we can't we have to cut this budget we have to cut the nea we have to cut the nea and it's like well, where's the money going and it's like you didn't have to cut it you didn't you never had to cut it and the money's always there and the people who can afford to buy these things still do and i'm still love for a museum to put out like a very i'm sure i could seek it out but i don't know how maybe i'll try to do that for the next time you know why they have to furlough people when they've had you know free admission because it's like, well, where, what's the money that you're missing that you can't? Because it's like government funding, like the Met, is it, isn't it? I don't right? know. Is it matched by like the the state? Or I the have no idea. I don't know. Because I know that like at MoCA specifically, it was a donation, a private donation that made it possible to not have admission fees. So if that's the case, then MoCA shouldn't be, you know, there should be no other reason that they couldn't. Um, but I don't know. And then I know that people are starting to dip now into their endowments, which is good. And I do wonder though, like, especially also like in terms of luck of like, of like, especially like these, these larger institutions, these larger galleries, these like larger artists, uh, like who are, who's going to, who are using who's using this opportunity as like a luck opportunity and turning it into like something positive with like their work and like the timing no i think that's that is a really good place because in the next episode we are going to be talking with an artist whom 
Alexis introduced him as, oh my God, he has seven shows up right now. And I was just like, what? What? I was like, who's this person? Who has like seven shows on right now? Wild. She's like, like, no, seriously, go and like, I'm going to go and send you his, his Instagram. And I was like, okay. And I was like, yeah, great. Okay. (laughs) Only for me to ask again, like five days later. And then Alexis is like, yeah, that that was like a thing that he made. It was like a show. And I was like, oh, okay. That's fun too. Total conceptual art product project yeah but it was very funny because it was it was like oh he's got seven shows up um but also what's the luck of that that like it's happening during quarantine and like nobody can go see these like seven beautiful shows that are at the whitney and the hammer and all of these like places all over the world um but evan paul trine uh is an artist here in la and he actually has a lot of really interesting things to say about luck um but also i think it is funny that you know he like manifested these shows and now people myself included totally believe that they were happening even though he is going to be very clear that like he thought that anybody who believed that he had seven shows opening on the same day that it would just be so blatantly satirical that like not one person would believe him yeah except like everybody did except everybody did um so because it's like yeah you believe about luck as like an entire industry yeah yeah. It's not even, like, far-fetched. I'm just like, yeah, okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll believe that. Um, and then, so next week, we're going to be talking about motives. So motivation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and talking about, is it self-made? Is it, are you trying to understand the market and fill the gap? Like, what is it? What, what is motivating you? Or what was the motive um, and that really is very different in terms of all the people who work within the industry. The motive of somebody who's a dealer versus somebody who's a collector is wildly different versus mm-hmm. the, the, the artist. Yeah, no, cause it's, and I think that if we really take a step back and investigate why we're doing something, cause it's so easy to get into the, just the rigmarole of just like keep on going and keep on going but then talk about luck like we could use this opportunity to like really take a look like why are we doing our practice what is our motivation and when you clarify that I think you can clarify your way forward a little bit as well like it clears things up of like oh, okay yeah that's why I want to do this and this is how I can do this now as opposed to just pushing forward kind of blindly because you don't really think about you know it helps you clear up your goals which is good yeah clarity direction direction and clarity in our journeys um it's all good stuff guys i know erica if you guys could see erica's face and like me just singing i'm gonna go you're happy i didn't sing vivaldi earlier i i almost did i love i love four seasons and i was like don't do that don't do that alexis don't do that to anybody nobody needs to hear that um Okay, Erica, where can we find you on the interwebs? The interwebs on Instagram to practice a practice. T-O-P-R-A-C-T-I-S-E-A-P-R-A-C-T-I-C-E. Boom. And I am hide or die, H-Y-D's and David, E or die. Everywhere. Or AlexisHide.com. Uh, until next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.